This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, have you been able to pull yourself away from the Olympics at all? I sure have not. And it's a perfect tie into a lot of things we talk about in the show lately with mental health and really addressing the needs of our community and, and not making it a stigma. So I've been, um, no, I have not pulled myself away from the Olympics. Long, <laughs> long story short. <laughs> well, I guess the theme of today's show may, may even tie in a little bit to the Olympics as well, because we're going to be talking all about pain management. We're going to have a conversation later on in the show about CBD and uh, what that's about. And uh, to start out the show, we're going to have a conversation about myths and facts related to pain management. We're going to get into a discussion on opioids and morphine. And we are very happy to welcome back uh, a very popular guest on the show. We always love having him on. That is Mark Philbrick, Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Mark, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Definitely one of our most popular guests. Yes. <laughs> so, Mark, our listeners have definitely heard or read that there's an opioid crisis. Maybe it, it's kind of lost some uh, ground with the pandemic and, the, um, and COVID, but can you talk to us about what is the opioid crisis and is it really that bad? Uh, yes. Um, in fact, it's Unfortunately, the pandemic has accelerated the problem, obviously, with people um, having many challenges of being isolated, um, pressures, and um, we've seen a significant increase in the opioid epidemic. We've seen that uh, since 2019, when it was, we thought, the peak of the crisis, there were approximately 64,000 opioid deaths in 2019. This past year, that increased to 92,000 mm. opioid deaths. That is approximately 252 deaths every day. Mm. About every six minutes, someone in our country dies of a, a drug overdose. And combining that with the alcohol overdoses, mm-hmm. approximately 88,000 people died last year of uh, alcohol overdose. So we're looking at a death almost every three minutes from either drug or alcohol overdoses. Wow, that's, that's pretty... That um, the is CDC pretty has declared that now as opioid-induced deaths, the number one cause of unintentional death of people 50 years and under in our families uh, are facing this um, on increasing frequency. Mm-hmm. So how did we get here, and, and what are some of the underlies, underlying causes of where we are? Well, this really dates back to the 80s and 90s when um, in the medical movement was changes in prescription practices as opioids became um, common use in dealing with pain. Pain was looked at as, uh, you know, a a real problem in America. Mm -hmm. And so it was introduced, the American Medical Association introduced um, a standard for opioids looking at pain as a problem and was included as the fifth vital sign at doctor's visits. You know, you go to the doctor and you walk in and 
They take your height and your weight. They also look at your temperature, your pulse, your respirations, your mm-hmm. blood pressure, and pain was added to that checklist. You know, you're probably, if you've been to the physician, they say, are you experiencing any pain? And on a scale of zero being no pain, 10 being the worst pain, what's your pain level now? Mm-hmm. And so often when they were addressing pain, they were prescribing um, opioid drugs. Uh, long-acting opioids like MS Cotton, OxyContin were introduced into the market and were marketed for years to doctors and primary care practices as being safe and effective for dealing with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not unusual to get a a 30-day supply of pain medicine, and as people began to get on those pain medicines, they became addicted. Mm-hmm. The other problem we ran into is um, the swing when it began seeing that the increase of opioid deaths due to the prescription drugs, the medical societies and the public health emergency was declared, and so the pendulum swinged in the other direction where they now began to reduce the amount of prescription pain medicines. And as people were addicted to them, they no longer could get legal prescriptions, so they turned to street drugs, illegal street drugs like heroin and fentanyl. So the controlled substances they were picking up on the streets increased overdoses. We reduced prescription deaths by 5% a year from 2012 to 2016. Wow but street drug dress increased 540%. So we had a hundred times increase in deaths due to people finding substitutes in order to feed the addiction that have been introduced through um, substituting Mm -hmm. legal drugs with illegal drugs. Wow. So is this a problem? What does the problem look like in North Carolina? Are there hot spots and what has our state been doing to address this issue? Yeah, the CDC actually studied this um, back since 1999. Over a 10-year period, there was a 350% increase in drug overdoses in North Carolina. In fact, between 2014 and 2015, North Carolina had a statistically significant increase in drug overdoses, and Wilmington, North Carolina, was seen as the number one city in the United States at that time for opioid abuse. So um, we like to think of North Carolina being number one, but that's not something we really want to be proud of being number one for. Um, So our um, House of Representatives did take action. In 2017, they passed a new law you may have heard back um, called the STOP Act, Mm -hmm. and that stood for strengthening the opioid misuse and prevention. Mm -hmm. And that goal was really to help eliminate or reduce inappropriate prescribing of drugs. So all North Carolina doctors and prescribers, nurse practitioners, and PAs were required to take courses on pain management and addiction. And um, effective June, January of 2018, they introduced new laws to reduce prescribing of drugs. For example, if you went to primary care doctor and had acute pain, you had a five-day supply of prescription drugs as opposed to a 30-day supply. Mm-hmm. and even surgical patients that was reduced to a seven-day supply. So there was uh, significant efforts made over the past five years to try to um, reduce the amount of prescription drugs and also introducing um, a tracking system throughout the state of North Carolina so people couldn't jump from one doctor to another. Mm-hmm. So when a pharmacy gets an order, 
they can cross-check the prescription from different uh, physicians and different pharmacies to reduce um, doctor shopping for these drugs. Absolutely. So we know that there are legitimate needs for pain medicine and prescription drugs, especially in palliative medicine and hospice care and cancer care. So what's being done to make sure the people who really need the pain medicine can still get it? That's a really good point. Um, what has been done is part of this legislation of reducing prescribing and primary care practices, they have allowed uh, legitimate use so some of the things that were eliminated from the reduction of drugs was where pain medicines are appropriate. For example, in cancer patients who have a significant cancer-related pain, bone pain, organ pain. Also hospice patients who are at end of life and have been determined to have less than six months to live. And palliative care cases where we have uh, medically-assisted substance um, situations where people have legitimate pain and extended or chronic pain where it's been diagnosed properly. So we're not limiting also prescription drugs that are given in hospitals and nursing homes or hospice facilities where we have nurses monitoring these patients on a 24-hour basis. So um, that has helped us make sure that the people who need it are getting it and those who are at risk of getting addicted are kept within proper boundaries. Yeah, that's a wonderful set of precautions to have. We're speaking with Mark Philbrick, Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. We're having a conversation related to pain management and opioids, and we're going to continue that right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are having a conversation with Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we're having a, a show themed around pain management, and we're uh, also discussing opioids, and now we're going to get into a, a little bit of some misconceptions. Yes, uh, this is one of my favorite games to play on the show, uh, Miss <laughs> and Facts. So, Mark, what are some of the common myths and misunderstandings about morphine that you hear, uh, especially out in the field and the work that we do at Transitions and Palliative Care and Hospice, and what are some facts that our listeners should know about these myths? That's a really good question. The first, uh, one of the most common ones I hear is, you know, if we give morphine to my mom, she's going to die sooner because it will stop her breathing. You know, there's common um, misunderstanding of this, and it's true that any drug taken to excess is gonna poison you. So <laughs> the fact is that morphine does help provide comfort for patients. It does not hasten death. In fact, morphine started at low doses and gradually increases as necessary so we can adjust it to the patients appropriately to make sure that they're getting the comfort they need for the mm -hmm. pain they're experiencing. But it doesn't really um, 
stop their breathing unless it's given in excessive doses. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're seeing these drug overdose deaths with the street drugs, where they have uh, heroin and it's laced with fentanyl. And most people don't realize the fentanyl is about 100 times more powerful than morphine. So even a slight miscalculation of how much they're taking can be fatal. But when it's used appropriately, the doses are given through um, nurses and doctors who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It can greatly decrease a person's pain without affecting their breathing. Wow. Yeah, that's that's um, huge. And I wonder now, uh, are people concerned that it will make them a drug addict? Yes, that's another thing we've had. In fact, my father, who um, I got into hospice work back in 2004, and my father was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and metastasized to his brain. He went on hospice and moved into my home, and I took time off to care for him. And um, about a week before he died, I noticed he was grimacing a lot more as I turned him. And he, um, when I told him, Dad, it's time for you to start taking some of this pain medicine, mm-hmm. he said, I don't want to be a drug addict. I don't want to be a junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I had to say, Dad, you're 89, you're dying of cancer, and this is not going to make you a drug addict. Um, the reality is that drug abuse is usually a function of people who are taking drugs not for their intended purpose of dealing with their physical pain, Mm -hmm. but emotional pain. Um, And if the patient takes morphine for a long time, their body does become adjusted and um, uh, it will need increasing doses of it. Mm -hmm. But it does not make people a drug addict if they're using it for the intended purpose and appropriate purposes. Mm -hmm. So there is a greater risk of addiction for a person um, who takes opioids if they're not doing it for physical pain, Mm -hmm. but for a psychological high. But um, it's rare for people who are taking an opioid for legitimate physical pain to get addicted to the drug. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great feeder into our next myth. If people start using morphine too soon, um, will it not work when they really have severe pain? Yes, that's another uh, myth. The reality is that um, morphine can be increasing in dose and in frequency of dosing as a person does adjust, adjust to it over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So what we typically do with people who are having acute type of pain would be to give a long-acting opioid so that we have a constant level of it in their blood. Typically, they're taking a pill every 12 hours to to maintain a base level of pain comfort. And then if the pain accelerates, we call that breakthrough pain, they're giving a short-acting drug in order to um, overcome the hump of that acute pain. If we see that that person's having to have two or three episodes where they're breaking through and having more pain, then we would up the dose gradually to make sure that we are accommodating for that. So there is no ceiling dose on morphine if it's progressively given over a period of time and gradually increasing the doses. So So it is a very safe and effective drug when used Appropriately, yeah, definitely. So who should someone call or where do you go if a loved one has severe pain due to a chronic illness or a terminal illness? Well, if it's a sudden onset of pain, that typically would be something you would want to go to an emergency room or contact your primary care doctor first Mm -hmm. and get that assessed. Um, If the pain is related to more of a chronic condition, 
or something that's been determined as a terminal condition, such as a uh, cancer or um, organ failure, those type of illnesses, then a consult with a palliative care specialist would be appropriate. Um, for example, Transitions has a palliative care team, both working within the hospitals, what we call inpatient palliative care, and also a community-based palliative care with a clinician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician would actually come to the person's home or nursing home and assess them for their pain and be able to evaluate what medicines may be appropriate to deal with that. Wonderful. So a random question for you. I know that you're very involved in training our younger generations, especially in the nursing schools and, and some of our local colleges and community colleges. Are the medical schools and the training that we're offering people that are you know coming up in this field now, are we shifting the conversation on pain management in our curriculum? Yes. Um, fortunately, that has been changing and improving. We've seen um, that pain management classes were rarely done over the past few years. Uh, it was a study done back in the mid, uh, around 200, uh, excuse me, 2015, where four years in medical school, they were having on average about nine hours of training on pain management. Um, and so now uh, the Obama administration actually implemented mandatory requirements in 2016 that it be part of a curriculum in every medical school and every pharmacy. So there's an increasing awareness, plus palliative care as a specialty has been increasing over the recent years. So palliative care is a board-certified specialty, just like oncology or pulmonology or cardiology. So these are board-certified people who go to additional training after medical school and internship and do a fellowship specifically to learn how to manage pain uh, for people with serious terminal or chronic conditions. Perfect. Mark. And we are also going ourselves, Transitions mm -hmm. uh, Life Care is director of education. I have nurse educators, and we go to hospitals and nursing homes and assisted living facilities to train their staff on the myths and facts of morphine and how to better manage people's pain as it progresses across illness. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful that we're educating everyone related to that as many as we can to make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're using these uh, these drugs safely and securely. He is Mark Philbrick, Director of Education for Transitions Life Care. You can always find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Mark, thank you so much for your time as always. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. That was my pleasure. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org.
Transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Well, we just had a conversation about pain management and opioids, and now we're going to shift our focus to something that has uh, become pretty popular over the last mm-hmm. few years, but there's still a lot of questions and maybe lack of understanding, so we're going to have a very robust conversation related to CBD and CBD oil and uh, all the various aspects of CBDs. And to do that, we are very pleased to welcome Kayla Hall. She is the Chief of Staff with Root Bioscience. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both for having me. Definitely. So first, Kayla, could you talk to us a little bit about yourself and your background? I'm very familiar with Root Bioscience and Eternal. My dog uh, has had seizures and a variety of other health uh, issues, and we've been giving her Neternal uh, for a while now, and I'm a big fan. But can you tell us a little bit about you and what you all do at Root Bioscience? Yeah, so as the chief of staff at Root Bioscience, I actually started as an analytical chemist. My background is actually in chemistry. So um, we started in 2018, and we started manufacturing hemp products, usually for other people, um, contract manufacturing, stuff like that, providing high-quality products to other brands. And we decided that in 2019, we wanted to launch our own brand. So we launched Neternal summer of 2019, and it was mainly out of a necessity. Our CEO and his family, Garrett Purdue, he knew the benefits firsthand of CBD, basically Mm -hmm. because he had had some bad experiences with his family with pharmaceuticals, and um, his daughter was suffering from night tears. And basically, a doctor wanted to put her on some harsh medications, Mm -hmm. and he said absolutely not, and knew that CBD could benefit her. And they tried it, and it worked. And so he was looking all around for a high-quality CBD brand, couldn't really find what he was looking for, and so that's why we decided to start Neternal. That's a very compelling story. So can you talk to us a little bit about what is CBD for those who don't know and what does it stand for um, and go through some of the basics about what we're getting into here? Yeah, so CBD um, called cannabidiol, it's a chemical compound that's extracted from the hemp plant. It's, uh, It's basically, it's called a cannabinoid. And so there are other cannabinoids also found on the hemp plant. CBD is just the most well-known. It's, you know, in everything it seems like now. But THC is the other one that's most well-known. So THC is the one that's psychoactive, whereas CBD is not psychoactive. And basically, there are other cannabinoids that you'll find. Um, Typically, there are different types of products that you can look out for. But we usually do a full-spectrum product or a broad-spectrum product, meaning A full-spectrum product will have high concentrations of CBD, but it'll also have a lot of those beneficial minor cannabinoids present. Mm -hmm. So CBG, CBN, uh, there are 120-plus known cannabinoids, and they're discovering more all the time. Whereas a broad-spectrum is very similar, but it basically has the THC removed. So the full-spectrum will have up to 0.3% THC. Wow. So there's a lot of misconceptions, as Jason said, about CBD. Can you clarify, does it actually get you high? Is it really a psychoactive drug? Um, You know, I think there's a lot out there in the news that people don't understand. Yeah, CBD itself is not psychoactive. It won't produce that high feeling, but THC is. So if you are taking a full-spectrum product, you got to be careful of the trace levels of THC. So like, for example, don't take too much of that product because you might start feeling some of those euphoric effects. 
So if you really want to make sure that you don't feel any, any of that, then you would ultimately choose a broad spectrum product that is THC free because CBD itself is not psychoactive. And so not being psychoactive, it's also not illegal, correct? Correct. So per the 2018 Farm Bill, CBD and basically um, cannabinoids from the hemp plant, as long as the hemp plant is under 0.3% THC by weight, is considered legal. Awesome. So now that we've learned a little bit about what CBD is um, and kind of some of the misconceptions that are out there, what are some ailments that CBD can help treat the symptoms of? So you have to be really careful with medical claims. The Basically, CBD is not regulated by the FDA, so it's not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. So I will say that. However, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence for CBD, specifically CBD as an anti-inflammatory. So a lot of the research that's been done um, suggests that it's a powerful anti-inflammatory, so a lot of people are using it for pain. The other common use cases would be stress and anxiety and sleep. Hmm. Um, Kayla, I, I don't know how to put this gently, but uh, <laughs> these the CBD stores pop up all over the place. And sometimes when I see yeah. them, I'm like, I'm, I'm curious about CBD, but I'm, I, I question about whether or not this is a store that I want to go into. Um, and I, yeah. quest, I question, you know, maybe the, uh, the validity of, of the items that they may have in there. Mm-hmm. How can we tell as consumers, uh, I mean, you said the FDA isn't regulating this, but, you know, how can we make sure that we're putting the right things in our body? And how can we make sure that we're, we're, we're confident in, in that the product matches what may be on the label? Yeah, and you're 100% correct to be weary of, of just any CBD brand. There are a lot of sketchy brands out there, and definitely you want to pay attention to a few things. And the first most important thing is you should always choose a brand that offers a full panel analysis, or also known as a COA, or a certificate of analysis on the product. So basically what that means is that it would be a batch-specific COA. Usually they're published on the website, and you can, at an eternal, you can go on and see all of our COAs. Um, I can share that with you guys later too. Mm-hmm. But basically what it will tell you is the actual potency of all the cannabinoids present in the product. It'll tell you if it was passing for presence of heavy metals, pesticides, solvents, mm. all sorts of different stuff in that full panel to make sure that you know that it's a safe product. Because, you know, if you, if you get a product that was, you know, processed with pesticides, those could carry over into your product. So you want to make sure that those sorts of things are not present in the final product. And you can do that by looking at the certificate of analysis. Wow, that's very helpful. So what kinds of forms does CBD come in? I know from my own experience with my dog, there's pet varieties. What other things, uh, how else can you consume or use CBD? So for, there are, there are tons of different ways that a lot of brands market for use of CBD. We specialize in tinctures and topicals. So tinctures would be an oil-based product. It has a carrier oil. Ours is MCT, so that's fractionated coconut oil. And some other brands use other carriers. So hemp seed oil is common, olive oil. So basically what that is is it's just an oral product. Usually you put it under your tongue. 
to absorb it sublingually so it gets into the bloodstream faster. And then for topicals, that's more, you know, of a fast-acting, um, you know, a little bit more of a short-lived bit of relief. Most people are using that for skin conditions or pain in certain areas or pulled muscles. So topicals are pretty common. There are other types of edible products like gummies. We all, we're actually launching a new line of gummies coming very soon. Mm. So we'll have um, a gummy for a pediatric use case. We'll have a gummy uh, that's basically just a full-spectrum gummy, and then we're going to have some other different gummies. But there, you have to also be careful with, with um, edibles. Just mm-hmm. make sure, you know, again, that you're test, you, you see that certificate of analysis when you're choosing an edible product. And there, there are some other different types, but those are the most common. And mm-hmm. usually you can find those either in a full-spectrum product, like we talked about, a broad-spectrum product, or there are some products that are isolate-based, which, is, which just means that there's just CBD present. Mm-hmm. So basically that one had gone through the most amount of processing, but it would only have CBD present, no other cannabinoids. Excellent. We're speaking with Kayla Hall, the Chief of Staff with Root Bioscience, and we're going to continue our conversation with her all related to CBD right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest on the line, is Kayla Hall, Chief of Staff with Root Bioscience, and we're having a conversation all about CBD. And Mary, you know, we're, we're continuing our theme here related to pain management, and uh, I know we've got some more questions here for Kayla. Yeah, definitely. And something we talk a lot about on the show is dementia and anxiety and, and mental health, and I think this is the perfect timing to bring that up again. Uh, for using CBD with anxiety and or pain, are there any studies that you can share that have been done to examine the success of CBD in managing anxiety? Yeah, so there actually have been published studies for CBD and anxiety. There was one specifically published in 2019 in NIH where basically they were looking at whether or not it helped improve CBD or sleep and anxiety in a mm. clinical population. So they were actually testing it with people. Um, there's also been some on chronic pain, but most commonly CBD itself has been examined for its anti-inflammatory properties, kind of what I spoke about earlier. But according to scientific research, it's theorized that all pain basically comes from inflammation. Mm -hmm. So the key to reducing that chronic pain is targeting that response of inflammation. So a great place for you to check out would be the Naternal blog on our website. Mm -hmm. We cover a lot of these different topics and we always reference a lot of very helpful scientific studies. So if you wanted to go through and read the specific research, you could check out our blog and just click the links in our blog and it'll take you to the actual pieces of research. That's awesome. Great resource. And when you say topical, you actually have a cream that you can run, rub on your skin for inflamed areas, correct? Yeah, we actually have four different types of topicals. So a little bit of something for everybody. 
we have a salve product, which is more like a petroleum feeling. Mm-hmm. It's actually a beeswax base, though. So that one is more so used for small relief. Like a lot of people use it on their hands for arthritis or mm-hmm. on their knees, sometimes skin conditions. So that one is one of our more popular ones because it's unscented and it's really not you know harsh on the skin. There's not that many ingredients. It's just CBD and a couple of really key ingredients. And then we also have a body butter and a lotion product mm-hmm. that are a light lavender scent. Um, so a lot of people like that because, you know, it absorbs well and the smell is nice. And then we also have a muscle cream. So that one is going to be infused with menthol, arnica, eucalyptus, camphor. And basically that one's going to be the one that most people choose for mm-hmm. at least muscle pain relief. Mm-hmm. That's great. So CBD, it, it, we've talked about the regulation side of things of it. Is it prescribed or how do you go about trying to see if it will work for you? So since it's not being regulated, it's not being prescribed to people. Most people will try, first they'll start with a, a lower end product. Usually people start with a tincture, but a lower potency product. So we have three different strengths. So we have a 600 milligram per bottle. 1,200 milligram per bottle and 2,400 milligram per bottle in both our full and broad spectrum lines. And so usually people will start with the 600 or the 1,200. And we also have a dropper that has markings. And on the side of the box, it'll tell you exactly how much CBD you'd be taking. Mm -hmm. And so usually people start with 10 to 20 milligrams as a starting dose. Mm -hmm. And then you have to kind of see over a few days if that works for you. Unfortunately, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to CBD, so some, it's not for some people, and some people do need a stronger dose, so it's mm-hmm. really up to you to dial that in. We do have a page on our website as well that kind of goes into dosing and how you can best find your mm-hmm. appropriate dose, mm-hmm. but again, sometimes CBD isn't for everybody. It's not, it's not a magical cure-all for everybody. Wonderful, and, and are there any side effects that anyone should be concerned about as well? Typically, the main side effect we hear is upset stomach, and usually it's due to the carrier oil that's present, not necessarily the CBD, but for MCT oil, fractionated coconut oil, it is a natural diuretic, so sometimes people do experience upset stomach, especially if they're not used to taking that, but it usually is short-lived, and it usually goes away after a few days. That's the main side effect that we hear. Um, you know, some people just say also that it, it doesn't work for them. And like I mentioned, it's not a one size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. And then the most common side effects in topicals would just be a sensitive skin or a rash due to an ingredient found in the product. But a lot of, we haven't really heard any reports from ours because we try to use all natural products. We don't use any harsh preservatives. We don't use fragrances, parabens, sulfates, anything like that. So it's pretty rare to have a reaction unless you're allergic to something like menthol menthol or, you know, like an essential oil that we have in our products. Mm -hmm. So as a scientist or a chemist by background, do you see rural farms in North Carolina start shifting and moving in the direction of hemp farming as, you know, CBD kind of gets out there more and these conversations are happening in the legislature. How do you see that moving for rural farmers? Yeah, so back in 2018, when the farm bill actually passed, 
around that time, that's when a lot of the North Carolina farmers were getting on board. And so I do see that there is an uptick in the amount of farmers that have decided to process hemp and to, to plant and harvest hemp. And they have also, so they are also working on specific strains. So like, for example, a lot of what was harvested back then was CBD dominant, but now they have CBG dominant flower and they're kind of playing with the genetics a bit to try to, to dial it in to uh, specific use cases and stuff like that. Very good. Well, Kayla Hall, Chief of Staff with Root Bioscience, thank you so much for your time today and for helping to explain things in a way that even I now have a pretty good understanding <laughs> of CBD. So that's that's quite an accomplishment on your end, Kayla. <laughs> thank you both so much for having me. And if there's a, a way that folks want to find more information about Root Bioscience or what you do, how can they do that? So the best way is to go onto our website, naturnal.com. That's N-A-T-E-R-N-A-L.com. And that's where you're going to find all of our CBD products. And you're going to find that the blog containing all the useful information I went over. And then there's also our email on there and phone number. We are more than happy to answer questions. Anybody can feel free. If you have questions about CBD, you can reach out to us directly. Our customer service team is amazing, and they are more than happy to help you find the appropriate product if you're curious about CBD. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kayla. Thank you. Before we head out of here today, Mary, let's give an update on the Caregiver Summit. I know we have a date. Mm -hmm. We uh, do. What can we share? All right. So the next Caregiver Summit will be both in person and we'll live stream it. It will be at the NC State McKemmon Center Conference and Training Center in Raleigh. Uh, it is on September 15th from 8 until 1230. Uh, the brain awareness uh, that we were just talking about, brain, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, uh, and memory awareness is one of our topics. So it'd be a great way for uh, caregivers to get more information about brain health. Uh, we will also have um, a track on heart head and hands in a post-COVID world, so how to take care of your loved one at home. Uh, and you can attend up to three sessions. Uh, you can mix and match from the different topics. You don't have to attend all of the brain health awareness sessions. You can switch it up a little bit. There will also be a lot of exhibitors there, some great resources for you to take home when you're caring for your loved one, and also a way to network with other caregivers in person. But for those who don't want to attend in person, it will also be virtual. We'll be taking an abundance of caution related to the pandemic. We're limiting the number of caregivers and exhibitors. Uh, so registration is required whether you attend a plan in person or virtually. Um, you can find out more at caregiversummit.org. Caregiversummit.org. Again, the date is September 15th. If you go to caregiversummit.org, there's plenty of <coughs> excuse me information there. Registration is not open yet, but that will happen soon. So keep an eye on that. And there's also some very helpful information on there for uh, folks who may have missed out on the uh, April session this year. They've got all the webinars on there if you're interested in checking those out, caregiverssummit.org. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.